Okay, let's do this. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. I know I have about 30 minutes of energy left, so let's um, dive in right away, and let's believe God for great things. How many people came ready, expecting God to do something in your life today? How about over here on the right side? All right. This side over here is fired up this morning. This side over here, did you not have enough coffee, okay? Let's get, you can run out real quick. Father, thank you for this time together. Just ask that your blessing would be upon this word today. Just ask, God, that you would um, speak to our hearts. Lord, there's a lot of material, a lot of content here today, too much to go in depth, but we're just going to give this like a 35,000 just peak view into, and Lord, we just ask, God, that you'd be with us in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Okay. First of all, I got this candy in my mouth. It will be gone shortly. Okay. It's actually not candy. It's a throat. Anybody's, your house is like super dry. It's like, oh, you wake up and you got this throat. It's like, so you got to help yourself out. Okay. Anyway, today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a challenging topic. And this is a topic that in the churches that I grew up in, in my younger years, in the 70s and 80s, this was a topic that a lot of churches really kind of really didn't want to deal with. They didn't want to deal with this topic. And not only is that true of churches, it was true of Christians, And the topic that I want to talk about for the next two weeks is this topic of depression, depression, okay? So this is a very challenging topic for me to speak about, Um, but we're going to give it our best shot, okay? And I want to say from the beginning, many of the things that I share the next two weeks come from a book um, by a pastor down in Alabama. His name is Pastor Chris Hodges. And he pastors one of our greatest churches in our nation. And he wrote a book called Out of the Cave, Out of the Cave. And what he's doing is he's referring to depression as a cave, okay? So out of the cave. And I want to begin with the obvious question, that is, what is depression? And for our definition of depression, we went to the Mayo Clinic. And the Mayo Clinic said this about depression. It said, depression is a mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness, a persistent feeling of loss of interest. Wow, a loss of interest. Went on to say it affects how we feel, it affects how we think, how we behave, and it can lead to a variety of emotional, and check this out, it can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems. So this issue of depression can impact us in every way, in every way, emotionally and also physically. And according to the statistics that are out there, and there's so much information out there, you can't even touch on it in a year's time, depression has become one of the fastest growing health issues in the world that we live in today, not only America, but around the world. For example, in the year 2020, we all know what 2020 was all about, right? How many people were glad 2020 is in the rearview mirror? In the year 2020, in that one year, calls that were made to the mental health line, calls made to the mental health line increased in 2020 by 900%. That's incredible, 900%. The CDC reported that one out of four young people, one out of four young people under the age of 30 considered suicide in the year 2020. And for the rest of us over 30, 
one out of 10. In 2020, that thought of suicide came into people's mind. Anti-depression medication in just that one year went up by 300%. So as you can see, depression is an issue that we need to quit ignoring, especially in the church, because I think the church should have the answer for everything in Jesus in so many other ways. So we need to address it. So here's what I want to do. I want to take the next two Sundays to address these two specific questions. Question number one is today, which we will focus on, and that is how do people end up? How do we end up or people end up in the cave of depression? How do we arrive there? And then next Sunday, we're going to take a very interesting approach, and I'm actually going to have somebody come up and help me who is more educated in these matters than myself, and we're going to kind of do an interview format, and we're going to answer the question, how do we come out? What are some practical ways that we can come out of the cave of depression if we find ourselves there, okay? So that's what the next two weeks look like. But before we jump into our content, our material, There's three thoughts that I want to make sure that I make super, super clear to you concerning depression. Thought number one is this. Well, depression can stem from genetic and biological roots. That's certainly the case. A lot of depression can stem from genetic and biologic roots. But it isn't always, it's not always a malfunction of the mind. Sometimes depression can be a signal of external factors. Everybody say those two words, external factors. So what we're saying here is that, yes, there is a part of depression that is genetic, it's biological, but there's also a part of depression that is external factors in our lives that we can identify. And not only can we identify, but with some help, we can bring correction and we can walk in freedom. Either way, I want you to hear this, we can be confident that mental illness, depression, does not determine our identity. Does everybody hear me? Mental depression or mental illness, depression, does not need to determine your identity. Second thing I want to say is this, the church, I believe the church of Jesus needs to do a better job breaking free of the stigma, because there's a stigma associated with depression, And we need to do a better job of breaking free from that stigma of depression. Why? So that we don't think less of ourselves and think less of others who struggle with mental illness. For example, today you see that I'm wearing glasses, meaning my eyesight is not perfect. I discovered that when I went to take a driver's test several, like five or six years ago. And, you know, you put your eyes on that machine and Everything was becoming blurry, and the lady said, I'll pass you this time. But I got some advice for you. Go see your eye doctor. Then when I put on glasses, it was like, this is what I've been missing. I didn't even know it, but nobody looks down on me because I wear glasses. I hope not. As though I'm a lesser person. But sometimes that's the case when it comes in the church, when it comes to mental illness. We look at people who have this one particular problem, we look down on them like, what's your problem? Why don't you just get happy? Why don't you just snap out of it? 
and think happy thoughts. And I want to let you know it's not always that easy. So we need to create an environment where we can welcome discussions and we can have talk about depression and other mental illness. It's okay to not be okay. We're here to help you. And we want to be a church that's like that. The third thing I want you to hear, and listen to this very closely, people who walk closely with God, people who walk closely with God are not exempt from depression. People who walk closely with God are not exempt from depression. See, many people, for me, it was this way, assume that God's peace, God's power, God's protection should prevent us from feeling anxiety, fear, or depression. But the Bible, if you study the Bible from cover to cover, from Old to New Testament, you see that there were men and women of God who walked closely with God who went through seasons of depression. For example, there's a prophet in the Old Testament, one of the most popular prophets in the Old Testament, was actually seen with Jesus at the transfiguration. His name is Elijah. How many people have ever heard the name of Elijah before? So Elijah, if you read the story, a big part of his story is in a book called 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18, we read how Elijah was used by God for many miracles, signs and wonders, powerful experiences. For example, there's a story of how Elijah went up and he defeated 450 false prophets of Baal, meaning God used Elijah to defeat these evil prophets and they were killed. It was a miraculous story. We read the story of how Elijah prayed when there was no rain for three and a half years and he prayed and through his prayers that rain was brought to the country. So God did amazing things in the life and through the life of Elijah. That's in 1 Kings chapter 18, but that's not the end of the story. If you go to chapter 19, let's just read four verses. It said, when Ahab, he was the king, got home, he was the king who saw and witnessed all these things that Elijah had done. He told Jezebel, everybody say Jezebel. By the way, if you're thinking about a name for your daughter, that might not be the most positive, life-giving name that you would choose in the book of names, okay? He told his wife, Jezebel, everything Elijah had done, and including all the miracles, the way he had killed the 450 prophets of Baal. Look at what Jezebel did. Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, a text message. And she said, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Verse four, three, I'm sorry, Elijah was afraid. Well, hold on, you just defeated 450 prophets. You just prayed and rain appeared. I mean, you're afraid of this, the words of this woman? Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, the place where he first committed to ministry a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. There he went on, say this word together, this is important, alone. That's one of the factors, by the way. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveled all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. 
And he said, I have had enough. I mean, God just used him for miracles. Now he's saying, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Take my life. For I am no better than my ancestors who have died before me. So this man that was used in mighty ways by God and is now threatened by this woman through a text message, through a message, never even happened. But now he falls into this place of depression and says, take my life. Another great example comes from a prophet. By the way, these are prophets, people that are close to God, not people who are way out there, pagans. No, they're close to God. There's a prophet's name is Jeremiah, and there's a book in the Bible called, you guys are sharp, Jeremiah, you got it. There's also a book called Lamentations where he's lamenting. And here's one of his laments. He says, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I have hoped from the Lord, even what I hope from, from you, Lord, is not happening. I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. He's putting his mind on these things. I well remember them, and my soul is, everybody say this word together, downcast within me. He says, my soul is downcast, meaning there's no more who is this? Is this some guy that's not doesn't know God? No, this is a prophet that God's using to give words of prophecy to the people of Judah to repent. Close to God. You say, okay, Mike, that's Old Testament. I don't do Old Testament. Well, we should in the first place. But here, let's jump into a guy who used to be named Saul, and he became who? He became Paul. This is a guy that wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. This is a guy that went on three different missionary journeys. This is a guy that planted many churches and wrote many letters that we still read and preach from today. Look at what he says. Look at what Paul says in the, the text here is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He writes to Christians. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. And look at what he says, so that we despaired of life itself. That word despair means the feeling of no longer having hope, of no longer having joy. And that's what we hear from the mouth of Paul, filled with the Spirit of God. He says, so that we despaired of life ourselves. What I want you to hear today, what I want you to get in your heart today and in your head today is that we can be super close and you can be spending time with God every day and we need to. That's super important. But depression is not, no one's exempt from it. Now what I want to do this morning is I'm going to spend the rest of the remainder of our time talking about these external factors. So yes, there are biological factors. We talked about that. And yes, there are genetic factors of depression. And I want to suggest this very, I want to make it very clear that there's a time that you need to go and find professional help. 
Is everybody hearing me this morning? I am not downplaying that. I say that it's real. There are times you need to go and get help. There's times where you need to go and seek counsel. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the other side of that coin today. And we're going to talk about the external things that cause depression in our lives. These are things that we can identify. And these are things that we can begin to work on. But first of all, we need to see what they are. So let's look at about five or six of these. We'll see where we land here. We will be done at 1030, so don't worry. I've got an eye on the clock. Let's go. So let's look at some external factors. And you might want to write these down so you can look at them and study them a little more so on your own because we don't have time to talk real deep into these five or six things. But these are external factors that can cause depression in our lives. And the first one is super duper important. It's super important. It's called life imbalances. Life imbalances, okay? And there was a book written a while back by a guy named Johan Yari. He wrote a book called Lost Connections, Lost Connections. And I want us to look at the words that he shares with us in this book, Lost Connections, about life imbalances. He says this. He said, we need... Two, I see I forgot my T, forgive me. We need, oh, stop. No, we need to stop talking as much about chemical imbalances, which can be the case, and we need to give more attention about the imbalances in the way that we live, the way that we live. So what is Hari saying here? He's saying that there can be imbalances in our lifestyle, We live these imbalanced lives. I mean, think of this, the balances. And we can lead these imbalances life, and what happens is that can lead to depression. I mean, there can be the imbalance of work, 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 work. And on the other side of the scale, there's very little time for rest. There's very little time for free time, just unwinding. And here, what we have is we have imbalances. And it can be in any area. It's not just work. It could be in, and I almost, I don't even want to say anything else because I don't want anybody to be mad at me, okay? But we can be imbalanced in so many areas, any area of life, where it's all this, all this, all this, and there's just no balance in our lives. I believe that God wants us to be balanced people. But we get so caught up and we're just it's always these extremes, and there's this in, and those imbalances in our lives can cause depression, especially when the thing that we're pursuing so, with so much passion lets us down and fails us and disappoints us. That's why I love the words of the wisest man to ever live, according to Scripture, other than Jesus, is this guy named Solomon, the second king of Israel. And look at this verse. And I think this is a go-to verse that you could put down and you can study, you can memorize it. It'd be very helpful. And it comes from, I didn't write down the reference. It's called the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter four, verse six. And Solomon writes this. He says, better one hand of tranquility. What is tranquility? Tranquility means free of disturbance. Better is one hand of tranquility than two hands full with toil and chasing 
after the wind. What is Solomon saying here? He's saying that, listen, he's telling us that is it possible that less can be better than more? You say, Lord, I have two hands. I, I, I can get a second job. I can, I can do more over here, and it will help me to get ahead if I do more. I got two hands, and no, Solomon says, hey, better one handful of tranquility than two hands full with toil, and you're tired all the time, and you're getting depressed, and you're chasing after the wind. And what he's saying here is, could it be that there's, there's a time when less is better than more? Because one thing we need to remember, every time we say yes to one thing, what's happening, we're also saying no to something else. And we need to be wise enough to make sure we're saying yes to the things that are most important. So better is one handful of tranquility, maybe living with less. You say, well, that's not the American way. The American way is that I gotta go full on board, 100%. I need to just go, go, go. And Solomon's saying, hey, I've been there. I'm the richest man in the world. I had it all. And I've discovered that having it all doesn't bring peace. He's saying some people, all you need to, some people just need to hear today. It's okay sometimes to say no to more and just settle for less and have peace in your life and have some margin in your life and not always having to be running 100 miles an hour where you're getting tired. Yes, it's doable many times, but the question is, is it sustainable? And we do, we do, we do, but in the long run, it catches up with us. And we gotta have wisdom to say yes and no, and know the difference. So that's the first one. The first one is basically this, life imbalances, and I want to challenge you to just take time to think about that this week, to take time to talk to a spouse or a close friend about maybe the possibility of life imbalances with you. And sometimes we need to hear from other people because sometimes that could be a blind spot that we don't see, but everybody else sees it. You're go, 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 go. And there's this life imbalance that causes depression. Here's another big one, I think, in our world today. Number two is comparing ourselves with others. Can cause, can be an external factor of depression. It's the comparison trap. We're always comparing ourselves with the person that we run into day after day, the neighbor, the person we see on social media or anti-social media. We're comparing ourselves with, look at their spouse versus my spouse. Look at their body versus my body. Look at their earnings versus my earnings. Look at what they've accomplished versus what I've accomplished. And after a while, that can catch up with you, okay? I love what Theodore Roosevelt said. He said this, comparison is gonna be the thief of joy. When you live your life continually comparing yourself with other people, continually comparing yourself with what other people have, 
what they've accomplished and you feel like you're coming up short, that you're less than, that can lead to a dark place called a cave of depression. And here's my advice to you is we, be, we need to begin to focus on what God has given us, okay? Instead of what he's doing in everybody else's life, celebrate what he's doing in everybody else's life. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. And I want to encourage you, begin to celebrate your spouse. And all the guys said, amen. Begin to celebrate your job. Begin to celebrate the blessings of where God has given you a roof over your head and food on your table and all these good things. And I want to encourage us to get out of this trap of comparison, or comparing ourselves with others. Somebody wrote, our human nature leans towards comparison. Our human nature leans towards comparison and jealousy. Here's a verse you can go to the bank with, Galatians 6, 4 through 5. Paul writes, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves, and this is a good pride. This is a healthy pride. They can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Some of you today, if that's all you hear and that's going to bring you freedom, I'm glad you came. Stop comparing yourselves with someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Some folks have this this external factor of depression as you're simply just, you're living in comparison. Every time you go on the social media, you see, oh, so-and-so's on vacation again, and we haven't taken a vacation in three years. Welcome to Heather's world, by the way. They go to Hawaii, we go to Dayton, Ohio. What's going on, you know what I mean? And that can become so real. And if we're not careful, we begin to look at what everybody else has. And poor, poor, pitted, poor me. I get stuck here. I go to church when it's three below zero. And they're in Hawaii going to church today. What's up with that? So we need to be careful. This is a very, very slippery slope if we don't take serious, it can lead us to a negative place, a place of depression. Let's look at a couple more real quick. We're going to stop right at 1030 regardless of where we're at. Number three, negative thinking. Everybody just say those two words together, negative thinking. And there's a word I want to add to it. It's called ruminating, okay? There was a study done. It was several years ago. It was 2005. It's hard to believe that was several years ago. But actually, how many years ago was that? 17? So, ooh, quick on the math this morning. All right, let's go. 2005, they did a study, and then they studied, they discovered that people think somewhere between 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts a day. Think about that. On an average day, you you think between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts a day. Does anybody want to take a guess what percentage of those thoughts are negative? Just throw out a number here. Just make sure I know you're there. Oh, somebody nailed it. 80%. 80% of the thoughts that you think every day tend to lean towards the negative. And what do we often do with negative thoughts? There's a word called ruminating. Ruminating, okay? What does that mean? To ruminate means we turn the matter over and over and over and over in our mind, and it becomes like a snowball being pushed down a hill, 
And the further it goes, the snowball gets what? Bigger and bigger and bigger. But actually the word ruminating comes from, it means to chew cud. Okay, chew cud meaning we go, the reference there is a cow. So what a cow will do is a cow will get some grass and the cow will chew the grass, chew the grass, and what will the cow do? It will digest the grass. And then in just a matter of time, it will do what? Regurgitate it. Then what will the cow do? It will begin to chew, 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 and then it will swallow. Then what will it do? It will regurgitate it. And this is a pattern. Now I want to let you know when it gets regurgitated, it doesn't get better. You know what I'm saying? And I want to let you know that's true of our thoughts, our negative thoughts. We... We ruminate our thoughts. And we keep chewing on them and we swallow them and then they come up again. We chew on them again and what happens is they don't get better. Those thoughts get worse and worse. And if we're not, very, if we're not careful, I want to let you know our negative thoughts are a factor that can, and an external factor that can lead to depression. That's why the major battle zone in your life is between your two ears. It's called your mind. Your mind is super powerful. Your thoughts are super powerful. And that's why we need to take it, that's why we need to um, look at verses like this. This would be a, a great sermon series. Actually, we talked about this over COVID a while back. I remember preaching this message to a camera. I don't know if you remember. Was anybody even there watching those sermons, by the way? Oh, no, you weren't there. Okay. But look what Paul says. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, he says, and I'm going to say whatever is, and then you fill in the blank. Whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is. Okay. Thank you. If anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul's saying, hey, you need to put your thoughts through this process. Are they true? Are they noble? Are they right? Are they pure? Are they lovely? Are they admirable? Are they excellent and praiseworthy? The answer is no. What do you do? You move on. And he says, begin to think about things that are true. Begin to think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. I want to let you know we can get in this place of depression by this external factor of our minds are just in control of our lives. Our thoughts are in, they're controlling us. Our thoughts are leading us. And a lot of times they're things that aren't even true. They're not even remotely true. We need to learn how to take those things, as Paul says in another part of Scripture, we need to learn how to take those things, what? Captive. Taking our thoughts captivating our thoughts and dismissing them. Because there's a lot of people who are in a place of depression because they, their thought life, as Joyce Meyer would say, is full of stinking thinking. Stinking thinking will lead, can possibly be a factor of depression. People are thinking things many times that it will never happen, aren't even true, and they're regurgitating that thing and it just gets worse and worse. 
the longer we dwell there. Let's move on to this fourth one real quick. A thing that can lead, an external factor that can lead to depression can be isolation and loneliness. We like, there's times where we want to get isolated and put in loneliness. Research reveals that even with our social media platforms, and there's a lot of different social media platforms, and we have friends, and we have followers, we have all these people that are watching what we're doing, but even with that, we are still the loneliest society, according to research, we are still the loneliest society in human history. We have all these different places where we can go and we can make contacts and we can reach out and we can do this. And, but even with all this, right in our fingertips, right in our hands, they're finding out that we're lonely people. We're lonely people. And see, the thing we need to understand, the first problem is in the Bible wasn't sin, but the first problem in the Bible was this issue of solitude, of being alone. Look what it says in Genesis 2.18. It says, the Lord said, when he was looking at Adam, he said, it's not good for a man to be alone. And yes, we know the context of that is that's when he caused Adam to fall asleep and he took a rib out of him and created a woe woman, Okay. Why? Because it wasn't good, but it's more than just the context of marriage. The bigger context is it's not good for people to be alone. That's not the way we are created to live our lives, alone. We are made for community. We are made for friendship. We are made to do life together with other people. Here's another verse. Romans 12, 5 says, since you are all one body in Christ." We belong to each other, and each one of us, let's read this last part together, and each one of us needs all the others. We need each other. And I know some of us are more extroverted and some are more introverted, but here's the deal. At the end of the day, extroverted or introverted, I'm not even sure what I am anymore. I'm all messed up, okay? Here's the deal. We need people. We need people. We need each other. See, God never intended us to social distance. Oh, no, be careful, Mike. Physical distance, I think that's a totally different, there's a season when we should physical distance it. It's safe. But maybe the terminology wasn't the best, the social. We need each other. We need people. And that's why coming together in these settings is real important. We need one another. That's why times like yesterday, men's ministry, we had over 25 guys in that little foyer just having a great time connecting together. And we didn't do a video. We just said, hey, get to know somebody maybe you don't know yet. Why? Because it's important that we know somebody by name and they know us by name. And that's so important in our lives And a good place to start, maybe you need to come to a women's ministry or a men's ministry or a journey group. But either way, you need to find other people because when you go into isolation and loneliness, that can be a key factor, an external factor that can lead to depression is trying to do your life alone. And for all those who are trying to do their life alone, I want to say these two words. Stop it. Stop it. We need each other. 
we need a good friend. Hey, if you have two good friends in life, that's plenty. You don't need all the social media friends and followers, just a couple people in your life that care enough to listen, care enough to share. You'll be a rich person. We're going to hit on these other ones real quick. Number, where are we at? Five. Here's a big one why people fall into this external, an external factor is that we have this inability to process pain in a healthy way. Here's the problem is, and I'll read this so I don't go chasing rabbits. The problem is many of us have the wrong expectations of life here on earth. Our expectations of life on earth is that life will be free of all trouble. My friends, this is called heaven. Capiche? Jesus said, and I think Jesus knows it all. Before he left, he said, here on earth. Let's read this together so I know you're with me. Everybody together. Here on earth, you will be... You will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You say, Mike, can't you be a little more positive? Yes, you will have trouble. It's not always going to be free from trouble. It's not always going to be free from pain. There will be bad days. There will be days when things don't go the way you expected them to go. I look at my life since October And there's a lot of things in my life since October that haven't gone the way I thought they would go. So here's the deal. Now that we know this, this is the factor right here. And the factor is, when you come upon these hard times, what will you do? What will you do when you experience pain? How will you respond? Because you can respond a lot of different ways. We we all medicate our pain in one way or another. We turn to other things. Maybe a negative relationship. Maybe it's, and we're not going to go there, but we can turn to a lot of different things. But what we need to do in those times is we need to turn. But look at this, because the second part of the verse says, take heart, I have overcome the world. That's Jesus. How many people know that's the answer? We need to just keep drawing closer to him. He'll be our strength. Amen? Amen. Much more to say there, but time is not allowing us to say it. Let's move on to the last one. And this is one that is more on the spiritual side of why people, what are some external factors that lead to depression? And some people won't like to hear this one, but it's the truth. Is everybody ready? It's called spiritual warfare. Is there such a thing as spiritual warfare? Be alert. Be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil. You're here today say, I don't believe in the devil. Well, that doesn't falsify the fact, that doesn't change the fact that he's real. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion. And what's his agenda? He's looking for someone to devour. I don't say, I'm not saying that everything that's gone wrong in your life is a result of spiritual warfare. I'm not the type that believe there's a devil under every chair. But I'm also not the type to think that, or not to believe in something called spiritual warfare, that there's a real enemy 
who would love to come and devour and mess up your life. And mess up your life and get you discouraged, get you defeated and living in a place of depression. But I want to let you know that we can have freedom in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? So those are the six things. The external factors. Yes, there are biological factors. We understand that. Yes, there are factors that we call genetic. Those are real. You need to get help if that's the case. But there's also these six external factors. Life imbalances, the comparison trap, negative thinking, isolation and loneliness, inability to process pain, and spiritual warfare. We're going to sit here in silence, and I want to ask you the question, of the ways that we get into a cave, which one of these resonates most with your personal journey? Which one of those resonates most in your personal journey? Is there one in particular that steps out, that just stands out like... I ask because I think it's a good place for you to start to maybe be able to come to a place where you can identify. You can begin to identify. Why? So after identification, you can begin to do something about it. And here's what I want to tell you. You really do need to come back next week. That's what pastors always say, right? Please come back. Really, you need to come back next week. If you can't be here in person next week, you really need to check us out online anytime next Sunday or throughout the week. Because what we're going to do is we're going to give you some very practical ways. Very practical ways. You'll be surprised. You'll be super surprised how practical some of these ways that we suggest next week can really help you out of the cave of depression. So Lord, we thank you for this time together this morning. Lord, we thank you that depression does not have to identify us. We just thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to set us free. And Lord, I pray that we would not be people who are embarrassed by maybe some of the things that are going on in our lives where things just aren't, we're not on our A game. Maybe we're not in a season right now where we're not in our A game. I understand I'm not on my A game. And maybe we've kind of slipped into a place where it's like, oh, how did I end up here? And Lord, I pray that you'd minister to people right now, even in this room. That even in this room this morning, that you would minister to people. And Lord, that they would experience your presence. They would experience your power. And Lord, may everybody hear these words that regardless of where they're at today, there's hope. Does everybody hear that this morning? Regardless of where we're at today, there's hope. There's hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would be at work in in the lives of people in this room and watching online this week. And Lord, we just ask that you would be with us. We thank you that you are for us. You're not against us. 
And Lord, thank you that you never leave us in our dark stage. You come and you're always there. You never leave us or forsake us. So Jesus, we just thank you for this time together, Lord. In your name we pray. And everyone said, Thank <music> you.